Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me, your humble servant, Bill Arnold. I'm awfully glad to be uh, back in the chair behind the microphone today because, you know, I love Mondays. And I always like to start my Mondays with my friend Patrick Albanese. And then a little bit later after Patrick, Tom Bernardo is going to be joining me. He's written a book about church planting, which is going to be very interesting. And then Dr. Mark Muska will be in for the full hour, an hour or two. So get your questions ready. You can start sending them in right now. 877-933-2484. Wow, this is going to be a great day. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Coming up soon is our Faith Radio Fall Fundraiser. We call it Fall Share. And in my family, every member of the family has responsibilities, things that each member of the family does in order that the entire family can function properly. You are a part of the Faith Radio listening family. You are a part of the family. There is something about what you engage with, either during my program or in one of the other hours of relevant Bible preaching or family-focused teaching that you access here on the Faith Radio Network. There's something about that that is contributing to your walk of faith. It's connecting your faith with life every single day. And so we're doing our part, and we want you as a member of the Faith Radio family to have the opportunity to do your part. And that's why we invite you to participate in Fall Share. Now, you can get involved right now at 877-933-2484. You can join our support team. You can always give online at MyFaithRadio.com. And we look forward to Fall Share in just a couple of weeks. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, confirming with the flowers, consulting with the rain. You know, I love Mondays, and whenever Monday rolls around, I always get a chance to start my week off by chatting with my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines, Patrick Albanese. He is a performer, a comedian, he is a magician, he is a TV host, he's a radio host, he does just about everything. And does, does it all well. Patrick, welcome to the show. And none of it recently. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm glad you can join me on Mondays. I love being here on Mondays. It's I know. A, it, it helps me kick off the week as well. You know, we like to ease into the madness. Yeah. Now, I want to chat about something today that is troubling to me, and perhaps to you, and perhaps to all men in general, which is, He's I think... He's got no, the No, no, no. It's that men have a tendency of having a low level of anger at the surface now maybe that's just you and me talking but you know low low level of anger at the surface (laughs) you know and i want to talk about what the bible teaches about uh anger and i think we can go through this kind of nicely um so let's start with just what we learn uh from proverbs in 15 1 it talks about that a soft answer turns away wrath um, but a harsh one can stir it up. Now, you think of the discourse that goes on today in the world. Would you say most of it is a gentle word or most of it is a harsh word? It, it's a harsh word. And, you know, I, I've been trying to figure out the, what, it, what is it about social media most specifically 
that causes people to say, I'm going to give that guy a piece of my mind. Because <laughs> you just, just think that way, you know. You know, Somebody would cut you off in traffic, and by the time you got to the traffic light, you had already created this amazing movie in your mind that was uh, part Mission Impossible, part James Bond, that uh, you got into an altercation with that person who just cut you off, and somehow or another it turns out that he's a spy from a foreign country. <laughs> Trying to take over the world, right. and you're the guy that stopped it. <laughs> and then you pull up next to him, and you just kind of wave like, I'm sorry if I was rude when I honked at you, sir. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but the the Internet and the social media allows you to be the bold person that you, almost in a Walter Mitty fashion, fantasize that you are. Right. You know what? I'm not going to take that guff from anybody ever again. And uh, I, next next person that says something that I disagree with, I'm going to let them have a little bit of what for. And so I wonder if, if there's something satisfying in just the snark that people put out because they feel like they finally were bold. I wonder. That's a good point. And yeah. anger, of course, can lead to sin because that's usually where it goes. It talks about that in Genesis 49. You know, you look at Moses and, you know, I don't think he woke up one day thinking, you know, I, I think today I murder an Egyptian. You know, I think, you know, that builds up oh. over time. I mean, he could have thought that, you know, one more Egyptian cuts me off in his chariot. <laughs> I'm going to go after him. <laughs> Who knows? Those Ben Hur chariots with the things that the spikes that stick out the oh, side. Oh, those were dangerous. That doesn't seem fair to me. That's that's disobeying the rules of the road. Yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, there's something uh, you and I, you know, people that uh, if, if somebody's addicted to a substance, a lot of times if they fall off the wagon, let's say. Uh, one of the things that almost always precludes it is a level of anger. They, like they, they, they get upset about something almost as if the dark side is using the anger for that person to blow off steam and justify the bad thing they were about to do or the thing that is really most unhealthy for them. Anger seems to be this thing that puts us in this self-righteous, you know what? All right, that's it. I've had it. I'm just, you know what, I'm going to go do something I shouldn't do because to heck with everybody. Mm -hmm. I wonder if anger is being used in that fashion because we're so quick to get to it. It does give you a feeling of some level of control when you feel out of control. Yeah. Now, I think I sent you a picture the other day of a couple of days in a row as I was heading to the grocery store in the morning. There was a guy that managed to take up with a very large truck a couple of the front parking spots. I mean, he managed to... I don't. It was it was an amazing maneuver, and I kept thinking, "Golly, I should put a note on the car." And I'm not averse to doing that. But what do you say? You're parking like a jerk. It's like I think you know you're parking like. A... <laughs> the other day I went there and uh, the car was there again, and it was in the employee parking lot. I realized, oh my gosh, that would have been that was probably somebody preparing my meat. I should probably should. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's funny how you see that, and we've talked about this before. Is Are we mad because he took one of the parking spots that I want, and now I have to walk an extra 12 feet to get to my destination? Is it because I want to do that? There, there was a sense I, of I fairness just, like, that was violated. It's not fair to take two spots. Which is true, and then I can try to justify it, my anger, by saying, you know, there's probably some older woman that uh, has a walker that would really like one of those front spots, and, and you took it. And if she doesn't make it here, I would like that spot. <laughs> right, right. So, so I, I, don't, I, I wonder why, why does it upset us so much? Well, then you have to ask yourself, what are your trigger points for anger? You know, and Psalm 37, verse 8 says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. 
do not fret. It leads only to evil. So I think when you're when you get triggered, that's when you have to make a decision with what you're going to do with these sudden surge of feelings and emotions you have. Yeah, and it seems like the isn't it? It's a well-worn path. You know, as soon as you get angry about something, you start to make uh, less intelligent decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever people are telling a story and they go, "Well, there I was minding my own business," right, and then something happens which of course for years i've said you should probably never mind your own business you should probably just stick your nose into everything because every problem starts with there i was minding my own business <laughs> if you hadn't been doing that but um you know it's it's something happens and then we react to it and it seems like we we just get angrier and angrier and make worse and worse decisions which makes the situation worse which makes us angrier which means at some point in time you're yelling at a nun in a parking right, lot or, right. or a parking spot. Right. That, leads that was me to, the truck, by the way. It <laughs> <laughs> leads me to my next question, which is you can have a tendency of sitting and staying in your place of anger. The stew. Yeah, that's called the stew. And it the allows stew. it, as you and I both know, to become a bigger issue. Yes. And it's, it is amazing to think back to stuff that you used to get worked up about. Um, and you say, oh, gosh, I remember that. I remember when there was that thing that that was, that was the game changer. That was the end of the world, that uh, if that person continued to do whatever the activity was, uh, let's say sometimes it's a rift between friends, and then you say, I lost sleep over that. I was angry about it, and I had to be reminded that it even happened. So why did we even waste the time from the get-go? Mm-hmm. But I, I do think the bad guy likes us to be unhappy. You know, people like to say, God wants me to be happy. And, and you have a great saying. You say, I know that God wants you to be holy. But if we're going to ascribe motivations for any emotions to uh, any superpower, so to speak, I think I can state unequivocally that Satan wants us to be unhappy. Uh, I agree. And Number you know, one. And you know, Patrick, there are over, I think, seven billion people in the world right now and i don't think anybody needs another opinion i think what they need is the authoritative word of god in their life to transform and change their hearts and minds because i love these three proverbs and i bring these up from time to time on this show because i these are this is a wonderful trifecta proverbs 18:2 says a fool delights in airing his own opinions proverbs 15:5 says a fool hates correction and Proverbs 12:15 says the fool thinks he's right all the time. Are you sticking with that? No, I'm going to stick with saying- that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that. I'm, matter of fact, I'm so committed to sticking with that. I'm going to take a break and when we'll come back, we'll discuss this some more. Patrick Albanese is my guest, my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Joined on our Skype line with Pat, by Patrick Albanese. He's with us today, like he is always on Mondays. We get things started with a little bit of a light look at how things are going on, what's going on in the world. But today we're talking about anger and what the Bible teaches about that. And right before we went to break, we were talking about the foolishness uh, of anger and how a wise person, if they're going to really be smart, is going to learn how to hold back on their anger and not let it uh, infiltrate any situation that they're in. Of course, there's such a thing as righteous anger, which is good, but I'm just talking about mm-hmm. foolish anger. And, you know, where Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. 
I do too. I do too. It just because I say you've got hobgoblin in there and it's foolish. It's got some great words. Yeah, it's got some great big words. We don't use words like that anymore <laughs> for good reason too. Probably too. Yeah. yeah. So there's another good uh, a good proverb uh, in thirty thirty three and in Proverbs fifteen eighteen. Of course, it talks about you know how anger can really cause uh, some pretty serious division. Cause it in friendships and at work and families and if we can learn how to be slow in responding and slow in our anger, I think we're going to be much better off. And I know I've told you um, that my wife and I have a technique. It's probably much like a boxing technique. It's you ring the bell, you retreat to your corners, and we very rarely get into a disagreement about things. But uh, when when something happens, if something if it starts to get I don't even want to say slightly heated, but it's like, well, this is the point in a conversation where people say things they regret, where you could say something you regret. We both have this acute sense of where that threshold is, and we retreat to separate rooms to calm down, and then you come back, and it is amazing the difference that two- to three-month period gives you. (laughs) <laughs> well, it, no, <laughs> I might be exaggerating, but of course you're it exaggerating. Be, yeah, it doesn't have to be a lengthy. Right. It can be ten minutes. It could be an hour. It could be whatever it is. But suddenly, you know, it's funny how you come back and the first thing both offer up is an apology. Right. Which was the last thing on your mind when you left the room. You said, "I'm not apologizing to him, her, mm-hmm. because right." But left alone with your thoughts when you're replaying the conversation, you sometimes discover, uh, let's just say most of the time, that uh, I might have been a, a little off. Mm-hmm. And and so, again, it's one of those, you know, I, I would love to have an example of times where first response anger was the right choice. You know, d- 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 does that exist? <laughs> well, righteous anger would exist in that regard. But, yeah, I would say yeah. most of the time, no, it's not productive. It's not productive. Right. And I think righteous anger takes a maybe is more of a slow boil anyway. Yeah. And of course, any kind of anger just doesn't, you know, it's not going to just hurt other people. It's also going to leave you feeling a little bit damaged as well. I, I think so, um, especially if when you've had that time, let's say that you respond with anger and then you take the time, you separate to your corners after the fact. And now you're replaying it in your conversation and you realize that maybe you overstepped your bounds, but you, of course, unloaded with everything you had. And you say, well, now I can't get that stuff back. Right. You know, it's the, the old, you know, tearing open uh, uh, the the feather pillow and letting all the feathers scatter to the wind and they say, now go, no, get them all. Mm-hmm. Try can't to retrieve it. all of them. No, it's not going to work. Yeah. And, of course, you know, the old Stephen Covey principle, which I think he got from Scripture anyway, from mm-hmm. Seven Habits of Highly effective people is rule number two is I think seek first to understand then to be understood and I think usually when it comes to anger we're more interested in letting our perspective be made known we we do like to be right don't we well it's yeah correct me if I'm wrong with that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's true <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think we like to be right and I, and I think it's also it, it's it's tough sometimes that when somebody could disagree with you that uh, it's not only are, are you offended or hurt because they say you're wrong, but then you say, well, what, oh, am I stupid? Do you think I'm, I'm just not smart enough to uh, be right about something? I mean, we can get into some pretty awful places. 
Um, but I, I, I like that, you know, seek first to understand. And that's very tough in this current political climate, you know, because people say, well, you know, if you support whomever, mm-hmm. I don't even want to understand you. Right. I don't even seek to understand you. I've labeled you and then they throw a bunch of words at you. And that's, that's probably not a great place to be. But, you know, let's not forget that, you know, uh, not that long ago, the vice president of the United States shot the former, uh, you know, uh, finance secretary <laughs> because they had some disagreements. I mean, we've, we've had political disagreements and we don't solve them that way so much right. anymore. You know, right. we've, we, we have always had a disagreement and we've always had maybe not some of the best ways to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And of course, like you said, Patrick, you like to be right. So there's pride and ego involved. And when you want to, uh, if you're, you know, got an issue with anger, the, the best path is confession, is confession. Just asking for forgiveness, just the way when you and your wife take a little retreat and you come back and your first instinct is to is to ask for forgiveness right away. It's a beautiful thing. Well, I say I'm sorry. I have to hope that she'll offer the forgiveness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I mean, it works. It works for us. And I, I don't think... You know, I, I come from this family, and I know your your upbringing was pretty similar. You just you just like confrontation. Uh, you just like discord within the family and siblings. And uh, the dinner table was no place for any type of discussion that would lead to people yelling at each other. And the first time you were ever having dinner, say at a friend's house or say a, a girlfriend's house, and you saw people that did it differently than you, you'd say, "Oh my." You can say that to your mother? That's unbelievable. I, I've never, I, I can't believe you do things like that. I, you know, uh, it's, so that being the case, I know that both you and I tend to like the resolution phase of programs. It's like, let's not let this escalate. Let's cool off. And I'd, I'd like to say that I'm doing that purposely, biblically, but because it's my default position to not want to get into that you know, head-to-head confrontation and have bad things happen. Um, you know, I guess I'm I'm doing it biblically, but I'm predisposed to doing it biblically. Maybe not for the right reasons, but just because I'm wired that way. And maybe that was because I was brought up that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe my parents had that in mind when they set that precedent for us. Yeah. So you sent me a great, uh, interesting t- uh, tweet from Charlie Kirk and. I found this amusing. Only in America can you go to jail for cheating to get into college. But if you cheat to get into America, you can go to college for free. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's really fascinating. You know, I, I was thinking about like another thing that you know Bernie Sanders, for instance, talks about allowing felons to vote. And then he also says he's going to eliminate you know, he's going going to war with white supremacy. And I, I don't know how you do that, but I assume that. There are going to be arrests involved uh, because you the only way to fight this white supremacy problem that he says is rampant is that you have to reeducate people. And so I don't know if that's an indoctrination camp or if you just arrest people. So will those people be allowed to vote? I don't know. But uh, we're, we're flip flopping the rules and we shouldn't be surprised because black is white and white is black and up is down. And we were told uh, by, oh, gosh. Where was that written down? It's, it's a couple thousand years old. Mm-hmm. I think it's you, the Bible. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You're right again. That that would be happening. Yeah. And, and 
That is that is kind of upside down, yeah. If yeah. You, you know, those parents that cheated to get their kids into college are looking at jail time, and then if somebody had just hopped across the border, i.e. cheating to become an American citizen, um, there are politicians that are saying, I want that kid to go to college for free. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it's a little backwards at times. So um, interesting over the weekend, because I know we like to chat a little bit about what goes on over the weekend. Uh, quarterback Andrew Luck decided that he's going to get out of football, and he was booed as he left the field. And I thought, that's really a sad commentary. Um, and the guy who was the big winner on Jeopardy sent out this uh, tweet over the weekend, which I found interesting. He says, I hope to be as brave as Andrew Luck one day. Imagine reaching the pinnacle of the only job you've ever trained for, finding no joy in it, and having the guts to do the right thing for yourself, even though millions of fans will hate you for it. I'll take perfect answers for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> it's the daily double. It's a great response. Uh, you know, I, I, obviously, we don't know Andrew Luck. We know that you know, there are a lot of, I mean, you know, Brett Favre, whose condition seems to worsen. You say, well, where does this end up? And at what point would Brett Favre be debilitated enough where he'd say, I'd like to trade some of these trophies, some of these accomplishments for some of those abilities back? Uh, more more power to a guy like Andrew Luck at the height of his career, but he's realizing I am taking some amazing risks that could go dastardly wrong, and my family will suffer, and I will miss out on I might not get to see them, mm-hmm. or I might not remember them. I, and I think that that could be, you know, for people that have ever been around somebody suffering from uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, seeing that person's memory of them fade. That's really painful stuff, and it could happen to a guy like that at a young age. So who's to – I don't understand why I couldn't get the booing at all. I couldn't either. Why did they care? Exactly. You go, is it that important that you guys have a jersey that says Colts Super Bowl winners? Mm. You can buy one from the last guy that won it, Peyton Manning. <laughs> you still like him, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, does it have be, does it have to be current? Is, is that why Tom Brady keeps winning Super Bowls? It's like, well, that one doesn't count anymore because that jersey is three years old. I, <laughs> I, I, just, it was perplexing to me. It's like I would have thought that people would have said, kind of almost in a military fashion, "Thank you for your service. Uh, good luck to you. You're uh, making the best decision for your family. Good luck to you, Mr. Luck. <laughs> good luck to you, Mr. Luck. Yeah." <laughs> Very strange. So I always appreciate our chats on uh, Mondays, Patrick, and and on this. Uh, rainy day here in Minneapolis. I'm enjoying a nice uh, uh, cup of coffee. What do you enjoy a beverage while you talk to me? I'm just curious. I do. Uh, so I've um, been trying to cut back on the coffee a bit, and I've been drinking green tea, which has twice as much caffeine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this. This it's Argentinian. Uh, it's uh, yerba mate tea. And uh, can I make a confession here? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> So my mother-in-law, you know, she's one of these people that says, you know, oh, I can't drink caffeine later in the day. And one day she was over here and she was going through our tea cabinet and she found this yerba mate tea, which is really quite highly caffeinated. And she drank a cup of it. She says, that is the most delicious tea. And so every time she comes over, it could be at night. She's like, I'm going to have a cup of that yerba mate. And I won't say to her, you realize that stuff is chock full of caffeine. And But I did ask, I said, are you having any trouble sleeping? She said, no. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Doctor, thanks so much for doing the show. Thanks for having Talk me. Talk to you next time, Patrick. Golden. Up the road and pray to God I see it lights. 
I'm awfully glad to be welcoming to the show Tom Bernardo. He's been involved with church planting for over three decades. Uh, he's a sending pastor, a church uh, planting mentor and coach, and he's leader of a church planting network. So he knows what he's talking about. He lives all the way in San Clemente, California, and I'm awfully glad to have him on the show. Tom, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you. Yeah. Appreciate what you do. Well, I appreciate you. You've written a book called The Honest Guide to Church Planting, but I don't have to tell you that you wrote it. That's right. That's right. And Yeah, it kind of came out of the experiences of all those times. And uh, I need to say something that isn't typically being said when it comes to church planting. And I think there's a dirty little secret out there, isn't there? There's a lot of them, actually. Yeah, but p- probably the biggest one is that well, probably in the last 10 to 15 years, church planting has kind of become the chic thing to do and to talk about in evangelical churches. Um, it seems to draw a lot of interest, and it sounds really exciting. And what doesn't get told is probably the biggest secret, and that is that um, there is just a whole lot of casualties along the roadside as a result of what we've done with it. Mm-hmm. And many of these churches have closed. They never made it. And some people have left ministry permanently as a result, haven't they? No, that's right. That's right. And I've I've seen a lot of that firsthand. I've lived it myself. I came really close to dropping out of ministry myself as a result of my own experience in church planting and planted a couple churches, had to close one, left me disillusioned, um, didn't really have anybody to talk me off that ledge, didn't have anybody to tell me that what I was experiencing turned out to be really much more typical because what you typically hear is the success stories, you know, and we like success stories. We, we want to celebrate those, and there are some, and they're great. But what you don't hear is probably by my own estimation, at least 50%, maybe up to two-thirds of churches that get planted don't make it to their 10th birthday. Not only do they close, but they leave a trail of just really, really discouraged and disheartened good good people who have just been cast the along the side of the road because they were led to believe that it wasn't going to turn out that way. They were led to believe that a certain kind of approach and a certain kind of system would re- would give a certain kind of results all the time, and that's just not the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, I'd love to talk about the good things about church plants because we love church plants. Right, and right. And church plants make uh, the world go around. But, um, so let's talk about a couple of good things about church plants. Yeah, well, and of course, I I still work with church planters, and I again, I've been one myself. And and the fact is that Jesus established the church to be his primary instrument to change the world, and he is still doing that. There are such good stories. There's transformation. There's uh, lives are being changed, and the majority of the lives that are being reached and changed are not happening through, you know, media. No, no offense, uh, or through other programs. They're happening through vibrant churches that are empowering people to reach lost people and build disciples. And so there are great stories about that. Um, you know, there, but here's what we need to understand is that Jesus never talked about his kingdom expanding in rapid form, in fast growth, in explosive kinds of things. And those are the kind of pictures we have kind of typically given to us in the church planting world, that if you do these things, you know, you see the people on the stages and the people who write the books and the people who do the seminars, and they all talk about this explosive stuff. The really good stuff is the slow, the slow bake stuff, mm-hmm. transformation stuff, the stuff that happens slowly, and that's that's the stuff that's worth celebrating because it's happening. There are churches all over the place that have been planted and have solid people reaching lost people, giving them good news, and helping them see that their lives, their marriages, their personal finances, every part of their 
personal growth and walk are being changed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. But those aren't necessarily the ones that get celebrated. They're not the ones that get noticed. But mm-hmm. those are the ones with the, good, the really good stories. Um, has church planting kind of evolved in the last two or three decades? Oh, my goodness. It, it's probably changed as much as anything in ministry has changed. When I, when I first got into church planting, there may have been one or two books out there, and they were typically kind of church growth books, um, even not so much church planting as such. Even the name church planting evolved over the last couple of decades. I remember having some cassette tapes that we would listen to over and over again about how to plant a church. It was about the only thing that was out there. And no one in their right mind would plant a church because it seemed like a crazy thing to do. Churches expanded by, well, a whole lot of them expanded because a church would split <laughs> or or a mother church would just hive itself and there would be two campuses or kind of thing. But church planting wasn't really talked about. And what happened over the last couple decades was some really good people um, started seeing the pioneering nature of it, wanted to reach areas that weren't being reached, and saw some very exciting things happen. And then what usually happens with that is the science follows and people come up with systems and they try to create, they they try to reverse engineer what's happened in the church plant and then come up with a system and say, now let's replicate that system because it worked there. Let's put it over here and do it again. And so we systematized church planting. It became a cottage industry. We have uh, I mean, there there is one-stop shopping for church planting now, and and these are they're good resources. There, but what kind of happens with that is the guys, uh, well-meaning people who want to serve Christ, who want to see an impact made, they say, well, how do I do this? Well, they can go to this place that says we guarantee results. Do it this way, you're going to see it happen. Just turn the crank on this thing, and you're going to see it, it succeed. Because look at how it succeeded over here and over here and over here. What that's done is it's changed our approach. I don't think anybody intended it to go this way, but it kind of it kind of left the Holy Spirit and God's creativity out of the equation a little bit. And that's what happens when you systematize things. You know, you kind of say, "Well, let's just do this," and we can do it in the name of God. But let's it's all about doing it right, doing the things in the proper order, getting all everything in place, doing it with excellence, and then we expect a result to happen. And that's probably how it's changed the most for, for the ne- toward the negative. We, we've inadvertently created a system that can almost function without God, if you think about it, or, or at least try to do that. But then what we see happen is that God doesn't necessarily take to uh, – he, doesn't, he doesn't care for that approach very much, and he <laughs> finds ways to correct it. Uh, what happens then is that you have a, a lot of folks who find themselves – not knowing what went wrong, feeling like there's something wrong with them, feeling like there's something wrong with God. And I mentioned this in the book. I've got some good friends who not only left ministry as a result of not seeing it turn out the way they were led to believe it would be, but some of them walked away from their faith. They were so disheartened, and maybe some of their theology was so tied into the productivity they thought would happen if they just obeyed God this way, that when it didn't go that way, they didn't have a category for that. They found themselves struggling, and they didn't have anybody to talk to. They they didn't. They thought they were weird. They thought there was something wrong with them. And then some of them even walked away from their faith. Wow, Tom. In chapter two, you, you talk about the truth about proven methods. I think this is probably what we're talking about right now. Where yeah, that's right. You can organize right. a church to death, but you can't organize one to life. 
Exactly. And yeah, it, and and the approach to that, and I, and in fact, I did this myself in the early days of my church planting. It was okay. Let's make sure that we get ever all everything in place. Everything needs to be lined up. So the advertising is lined up. We make sure that we've got a slick designed uh, brochure. We we make sure that we've got all all the systems in place. So when somebody comes in with their children, man, we've got killer children's ministries ready to go from the from the get-go. We've got uh, people to welcome them. We've got people to make them feel at home. We've got a, a band up front that can do just vibrant music and worship. We, we've got everything lined up, and so we organize it and organize it and organize it. And the thing that, and like, like it says, you can organize it, make it look really good, but there's, there's a key element that you can't insert into that, and that is the timing of a sovereign God the will of a sovereign God, the the heart of God that comes through his people. Now, I don't want to imply that people who do just all the systems don't have that. But, it, but if we think we're going to put all the energies into lining up those kinds of things, and this is what happened to me, um, we, we did stuff that I would thought, this is fantastic. We, how, can, how can anybody not want to be here? This is so compelling. And like I say in the book, and what we saw was people stayed away in droves. Mm. We just didn't know where they were. And, of course, the, the other element that comes with that is what, what really reaches people, which is we're seeing this now in this day and age, and this, this generation is kind of rediscovering it, that, that what really is going to penetrate into the heart of a person and say, man, there's something I need. There's something I – I'm, I'm separated from a God who loves me. What, what's going to do that is almost always going to happen in the context of a relationship with somebody who's got it, somebody who's, who models it, somebody who's, who cares about them is, and is authentically involved in their life. So if we just hang up a shingle and put all our systems in place and organize it, that leaves that component out of it. Tom, it's almost like you put all this effort, time, money, resources, sacrifice, and you construct this church that you're talking about with the killer worship music and the and the nice coffee bar and the room for kids and then at that point you literally assume that god you are going to cooperate with our efforts no that's right it it kind of comes down to almost mathematic formula and that's what something sometimes happens in if i can call it the church planting industry and again well-meaning people these are friends of mine i have plenty of folks who i respect and love who lead networks and, and have these systems, but, but it, it creates this um, science and this math. And uh, one of the big things you'll hear in church planting is launch large, launch large, get as many people as you can to that first service. So everybody invite your friends, everybody uh, put up these posters or you know, do the social media blitz, that kind of thing, because then the science kicks in and the math kicks in. Because if you get... X number of people at, at a, a launch service, then by week two, you'll have X times 60%. So you'll, you'll see a decrease of 40%, well-wishers and other people who don't come back. And then it'll decline, and it's a reverse bell curve until about week six, and you'll see it decline. Then it'll kind of – then it'll, it'll tip, and then it'll start to come back up again. And then by week 8 to 12, you'll reach a plateau, and that becomes your target. 
if you have viability by about two and a half to three months in, then your church is going to survive. And you'll have enough to have critical mass, and, key, and you can kind of incrementally increase from there. Well, what that is, is that's math and that's science, but it's not God. It's, it's not the work of God's spirit. It doesn't take into account what does God want to do here? And what does it really mean for it? Does attendance equal transformation, which is a whole other topic? Mm-hmm. But yeah, when it reduces it to math, um, that's the expectation we have. Now, what I have seen, lived it myself, but also have talked a lot of guys off the ledge about now that I'm in a coaching role and have been for some time, is guys all get to the same place where when that happens, they, they, a, a sense of terror hits them. And they say, okay, what's going to happen next? Are the numbers going to increase? What do we do to increase those numbers? And the focus becomes on the numbers. Focus becomes on the what we call the butts in the seats. Get those, get those numbers to increase, and you're going to be okay. The focus shifts subtly at that point from what, is, what does it mean to, to breathe life and ask God to breathe life into what's happening here and through these people? How do we empower our people to be living in the marketplace and in their schools and in their neighborhoods to continue to live their faith and to reach out to people so that it becomes a compelling invitation to know – to have a relationship with a God who loves them, not just attend a service that impresses them. Mm -hmm. That's the difference that happens. Yeah. Let me take a little break. Tom Bernardo is my guest. He's written a book called The Honest Guide to Church Planting, What No One Ever Tells You About the Planting and Leading of a New Church. Take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. Tom Bernardo is my guest. He's written a book called The Honest Guide to Church Planting, What No One Ever Tells You About Planting and Leading a New Church. And when we were, just before we went to break, Tom, you were talking about the idea of the truth about getting butts in seats, which is uh, an expression that I'm okay with if it comes to selling tickets for a theater performance or something, but I'm a little less comfortable when it comes to trying to grow a church. And I think you are as well. No, that's right. And and there's a... There's a side effect to that. I mean, everybody wants – anybody who wants the kingdom of God to expand, they want to see more people come to faith. They want, right. And you know that faith comes by hearing, and so people need – we want people to be in a place where they'll hear the word of God. They'll hear the message of the cross, and they'll have an opportunity to encounter Jesus. So, so that's not the argument. But what happens is that we live in a culture where this is true, where in order to – draw people to make a consumer decision, I'm going to use that word consumer, we have to use another word, and that is we have to entice them. We we have to create a means by which we capture their attention and and convince them to invest limited resources, the, the resources of their time and their energy, maybe the resources of their money, to come and give audience to something. So when we entice them, and that's the, the goal of getting the people into attendance, we trigger something within them. And it is that consumer mentality that says, okay, is this worth my time? Is this worth my energy? Well, I've got to do whatever I can to show them, and, and it could be through compelling preaching. It could be through a great worship experience. It could, it could be through the, the fact that their kids walk out of the, the place saying this was the best thing ever and we need to come back. 
But if we say our goal is to entice them, then that, then that breeds something else. An enticement, it, it breeds entitlement. And what, we say, what I say in the book is that what you do to bring them is what you're going to have to do to keep them. So that mentality is there that says, all right, I'll keep coming as long as you keep producing. It's, it's just like we do with other parts. I, I'll be loyal to my cell phone service as long as you keep my prices low and my reception good. But as soon as you stop delivering, I'm going to look for a competitor because there's, there's plenty of others looking for my, my limited resources. So, so we have a sense of entitlement that comes. It's like, well, I expect that you're going to do this. You can keep delivering a certain level of satisfaction to me. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I go from one series where I say, I came in to hear the series about marriage or something, and I say, man, that was good. What, what do you got next for me? What do you got next for me? And, and when enticement gives, uh, leads to entitlement, then entitlement just puts us in a position where we're, we, are, we are enslaved to those who we're trying to get to be there. And, and as opposed to the character of Jesus, which is he came to serve others, and he came to draw people to sacrifice themselves and understand that they need to surrender their lives we're trying to tell people that, no, we're going to make your life better if you come. Now, I'm not saying that their lives won't be better if they come. Absolutely, the truth of God penetrates all aspects of our lives. It tells us that life to the fullest can be lived when we have a relationship with Christ. But when we have set the bar at, at so high that says, in order to get you here, we're going to do these. We're going to, we're going to put on some shows, and we're going, to, we're going to make it so much that you can't, not st- you, you can't stay away. You then what we've done is we've put them in a position where they say, as soon as that stops, then I'm going to go take my ball and go home. Or I'm going to go down the block and find a, a sports team to join or a club to join or I go to the movies or whatever it is that kind of lights that for me uh, next. When we do that, I think we go, we, it goes contrary to the very character of the God we're calling people to and to what he calls us to be in our own character. So we want to serve these people by bringing them to the cross, but we can't make that – enticement, the centerpiece, just to get them there for attendance. Mm-hmm. Tom, if I'm planning a church and um, you talk about the back door, what does that mean? Right. Yeah, well, we got a buzzword in Christian circles that almost goes untested or, or, or unchallenged, and that is we have this problem. It's a universal problem in churches. We get people to come in the back door, and then they go out the or front door, and then they come out then they leave the back door. Mm-hmm. And the big emphasis is, is how do we close the back door? How do we close the back door? How do we close the back door? Now, what we typically mean when we say that is I've got Christians here, and, they've, and we want them to stay because we, we need a solid base of Christ followers to help row the boat, take us forward. And so let's, find, let's make sure that we cast a lot of nets and create a lot of structure that keeps people from leaving. That that becomes a and if you you know all you have to do is search the internet for closing the back door of the church and you'll see all kinds of tips and and, and obviously none of us like the idea of people who just kind of come and go but again one of the the dirty little secrets of church planting is that fast growth is generally transfer growth it's generally Christians who are displaced who are coming back in and almost always those folks come in with their own agenda and their own criteria for staying. 
So the people who who usually are the ones who we're talking about when they talk about closing the back door are Christians who just haven't found themselves compelled enough. There's certain phrases that make pastors' blood boil. One of those phrases is, "I'm just not being fed." Mm. You know, I, I'm I, I need to find some place that meets the needs of my family. Now there could be some legitimacy to that, but but we usually hear that and we say, "Oh, how do we keep those people from?" going somewhere else because we we need them here. And what I have called on people to do in the book, and this is not just in church plants, I think this is true for pastoral leaders in general, is watch Jesus in action when, when he invited people to follow him, and you'll notice something interesting. Jesus never chased people who, once they came to him, decided to leave. He gave them an invitation. He gave them invitations. But he did not reason with them to say, stick around. Hey, don't leave yet. He, in, in, he essentially opened the back door. I mean, he did that more than once with his followers, his disciples. He said, you want to go too? You know, people kept leaving, and he'd say to his, his, the 12, he said, do you want to go too? You're welcome to do it. When, when Jesus talked to the one we call the rich young ruler, presents him the, the invitation, come and follow me, and he says he, he goes away conflicted or sad, you know, because he had much. And what you don't see there is you don't see Jesus going after him and saying, no, wait a minute, let's close this back door. Let's find a way. Don't make a hasty decision. Let's wait. Let's see what we can do to accommodate your needs. No, he said, I'm going somewhere. You're welcome to come. There's grace to be given. There is an abundant life ahead. Come with us if you want to come. And if the people chose not to, he let them go. Now, that's really, really hard to do when you're church planting mm-hmm. <laughs> because we know we need, we need people. We, you know, we, we just desperately want more people to come, and we need to, to keep things moving forward. So it's really hard to, to just allow people to make that decision. But I think that if we put our energies into closing the back door, every bit of energy we put into that is energy we no longer can put into our, our first mandate which is to reach the lost sheep, you know. And, you know, Jesus said, leave the 99 and go after the lost one. He doesn't, he doesn't say go, go after the one, you know, that's found. He says, no, you go after the lost one. That's what we're supposed to put our energies into. So I encourage guys to say, cut your losses. Understand you're going to have people. People will always make those decisions. They will, you will always have people who decide this isn't for me. Yes, you want to make it compelling. Sure, you can do some extra interviews if you like to just learn if there's ways you can improve. But at the same time, don't chase Christians. Let Give them invitations rather, rather than appeasements because you need to keep going where you're going and allow God to work in them to follow and go with you. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, if I were to plant a church, should I come out swinging right from the get-go? Should I have... You know, a discipleship ministry, uh, small groups, children's groups, um, right. men's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry. Do I need all this addiction uh, recovery ministry? Do we need this all happening at once when we start? Such such a good question. And I do think that's one of the things that just absolutely sucks guys dry. Um, again, in our culture, we have now created an environment where our picture of church and, and what we would call fully functioning church or full service church is something where, you know, we, we look at mega churches and even just larger churches, even medium-sized churches. They've got an abundance of programs. They've got things for every need under the sun. And it's very impressive. It can be very effective. I don't 
I don't think it's a problem to offer those things if you have the ability to do so. It's called Saddleback, isn't it? Well, there's a lot of places like that. That's right. right where, where you could pretty much live your life in the church building, you know, other than going to work. You could you can exercise there. You can go to school there. You can mm-hmm. eat there. You know, there's just all kinds of stuff you can do, and every need under the sun is met there. I, I think I, I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen. But here's here's what we've done is we've taken that model, and when that becomes our picture for what a church needs to be, it's not only an abundance of programs, it's excellence in all those programs. When you're planting a church, the quickest way to kill yourself and, or, or just dry yourself up as a leader is to feel compelled to say, we have got to compete with that, and we need to offer that to everybody. I think one of the best gifts a sending church can do or a sending agency can give to a church planter is to cut him loose from those expectations and mm. say, look, just do a couple things and do them well. Choose the things that are going to most define who you are or, or what God has brought along for you to give resources to do, and then do them, do them really, really well. Give yourself a chance to not, to not have to do everything poorly because that's what will happen, yeah. end up happening. Yeah, Tom, if you try to do everything, it'll just be awful. Yeah, no kidding. You have really offered some honest and candid um, conversation about the challenges of church planting. So thank you so much for doing the show. I'd love to have you back on because there's way more I think there is uh, we, we left on the table. Oh, sure. No, I'd be glad to do it. Glad to have the folks that listen to your program. To whatever degree that they are interested in seeing God expand through churches, I think we we need to learn some good lessons together. Awesome. Tom Bernardo has been my guest. His book is called The Honest Guy to Church Planting. Thanks for listening to the podcast. These conversations are available because of your prayerful and financial support. Make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend.